Walter Sports Bar is the spot to watch the NFL in the Navy Yard neighborhood. They preset all indoor TVs and seat first come, first served. Visit waltersdc.com slash NFL for more information. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. and kicks in his own twos on the way swung on and hit in the air to deep right field Thomas going back looking up and this ball is gone clears the fence into the Nationals bullpen it is a game lead off home run for Luis Arise now the kick of the 3-1 is a cutter outside for ball four and that's a bases loaded walk and will force a run across brings home Josh Bell and it's Miami two and Washington nothing now Gray's ready. Here it comes. Inside and low with a fastball. Ball four. They they checked to see if he on the check swing went too far. He did not. It is three walks in a row. Second base is loaded walk. RBI for Birdie. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, September 4th, 2023, Labor Day 2023. We hope that you're having a nice Labor Day weekend, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats do not have a game on this Labor Day. It's not often that a major league team does not play on one of the major holidays during the season, but such is the case for the Nats on uh, Labor Day 2023. And you know what? The Nats probably could use this off day because they're not doing so well right now. This episode of the Nat Chat Podcast is brought to you by Lou's City Bar. This football season, make Lou's your spot. Lou's is located in Columbia Heights in Northwest D.C., right by the Metro. Lou's, the perfect neighborhood spot and a temperature-controlled patio bar with plenty of TVs. So for the Nats, a 6-4 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon, completing a four-game sweep this four-game sweep of the Nats by the Marlins concluded a 2-11 and season for the Nats against the Marlins. The Nats now are an incomprehensible 6-26 and against the Marlins since the start of last season. But in terms of the bigger picture of this season, the Nats now have lost five consecutive games and seven of the team's last eight games. So off that great stretch in which the Nats went 23-11, and they now have gotten just one and seven. The record for the season is at 62-76. and Mark, the Nats are not laboring on this Labor Day, and uh, that's a good thing. This team needs a break. I think they labored enough over the weekend, to be honest. They they look tired. They look worn down. They look like a team that doesn't realize there's still four weeks to go 
in the season. And they better figure that out here quickly or else all the good things they did throughout August could be uh, out the window. That was a long road trip. We've talked about it. No off day. We kind of had a sense there might be some slippage from them. But boy, it really came to a head this weekend against a team they just could not beat at all this year. And maybe it's just a bad matchup. But this game in particular, it felt like it wasn't just the Marlins beating them. They were beating themselves. Sloppy play that cost them in a lot of big moments. And to me, that's a sign of a team that's tired physically and mentally probably at this stage of the season. Yeah, things are not going well. And, you know, the good that was done in August is starting to get erased here. I mean, you look at the Nats on the season, like I said, 62 and 76, third worst record in the National League. The Nats have the second worst run differential in the National League at minus 118. I mean, you know, we were having fun with talking about could the Nats, you know, maybe possibly finish at 500 or at least make a run at doing that. And uh, it doesn't look likely right now. I mean, the Nats still have not secured not having a 100-loss season. Technically speaking, that still is possible. Now, that's not going to happen, but it just goes to show you kind of where we're at. So we definitely got to get to the defensive sloppiness, especially with some of what we're seeing from C.J. Abrams. But man, I don't know how what happened with Josiah Gray isn't the number one thing in your mind if you're a Nats fan. So Josiah Gray in this game on Sunday afternoon, of course, it had been iffy whether he would even make this start. He has not been pitching well. Davey Martinez flat out admitted there was a possibility that Gray would not make this start on Sunday afternoon, but it was determined after a bullpen session on Friday that Gray would make the start. Well, the start did not go so well. Josiah Gray was bad for a fifth time in six starts. He lasted for just four innings. He allowed three runs in four innings, although all of the runs came in the top of the first. So, you know, I guess you could say he was better after that. But, you know, the that was really bad. He in the top of the first was like right back to being what he had been trying to avoid to continue being. That top of the first, Gray allowed three runs. That was like a nightmare. And it wasn't so much the what, but the how. Gives up a leadoff home run by Luisa Rise to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a 1-0 Marlins lead. Then on the very next pitch, a first pitch single to right field by the ex-Nat Josh Bell. Then did come some bad luck. Gray gave up a one-out full count ground rule double by Jazz Chisholm Jr. on a high fly ball. Two on the way. Swung on, hit high in the air to left center field. Young going back. Shading his eyes with his glove on the warning track. Lost it in the sun. Bounces on the track and goes over the fence into the bullpen. Okay, again, bad luck. But how about how Josiah Gray responded to the bad luck? He then issued three consecutive walks. And not just that, three consecutive walks over a total of just 14 pitches. A four-pitch walk and two five-pitch walks, including back-to-back, one-out bases, loaded walks of Jesus Sanchez and John Birdie, and Josiah Gray was visibly upset after this three-run Marlins first. And you asked Davey Martinez after the game what Davey thought about that, and Davey was not happy about that. I don't want to see that out there. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to come in and does that, and we, talk, you know, we talked about it after the fact. He was not happy about it. If, if people didn't see it, it was at the end of the inning. He takes a couple of steps towards the dugout, then turns and looks back towards center field, presumably at Jacob Young, and yelled out something to the effect of catch the bleeping ball. Obviously upset about the ball that was lost in the sun that prolonged the inning. Davey said that's not the way you handle that. He would rather have that done back in the dugout or up the tunnel in the clubhouse. And for his part afterwards, we asked Josiah about it as well. And he took full ownership of it and said that he apologized both to Young and to Dom Smith, who pulled him aside in the dugout at the end of the inning and said something to the effect of, hey, we don't do that 
kind of thing around here. And you could tell Josiah felt really bad about it. That is kind of out of character. We have not seen that from him. And my hunch, and he alluded to it a little bit, is that it wasn't really just about one fly ball that was lost in the sun. That was a building up of a lot of frustrating things, I think, over the last couple of months for Josiah Gray. And it all came to a head there that inning. And he knows it and kind of admitted that, but still a really bad look in that situation. And yeah, I agree with you. It's not that he gave up three runs in the first, it's how he did it. He starts off pumping strikes, seven straight strikes. And the funny thing is, is that he and Davey were encouraged by that, even though, yes, there was a home run in there, but they wanted him throwing fastballs and throwing them over the plate. And he did that. And then the moment something went wrong, it fell apart from completely. And he admitted that he didn't take enough time to recompose himself. He let that get the best of him. He sped things up. And boy, he was a mess the rest of that inning. And that, to me, is the most troubling part of it all, is that he couldn't find himself again after a play isn't made behind him. Look, errors happen. Whether it's the sun, whether it's a physical error, mental error, whatever it is, they happen. Pitchers all the time are going to say, hey, it's my job to bail them out when that happens. And boy, he did not even come close to doing that in the first inning today. No, he did not. And, you know, I don't want to hammer Josiah Gray for what he said to Jacob Young because, you know, I don't think we should judge people in their absolute worst moments. And it's not like Josiah Gray has a history of being like this. Clearly, that is a terrible thing to do to a teammate, to show him up like that in front of everybody like that. And, you know, there is an obvious retort of, you know, he says to Jacob Young, catch the bleeping ball. Well, Jacob and everyone else can say to Josiah right now, throw a bleeping strike, okay? Because he's not doing enough of that. And the three consecutive walks, I just could not get over that. It's like the whole purpose of this outing was for him to not issue walks. And here he is in the first inning issuing three consecutive walks like that. And again, over 14 pitches. It was maddening to watch. You look at Josiah Gray now, his last six starts, an ERA of 849. And he has issued a staggering 21 walks in 23 and a third innings. That's almost like the kind of thing you have to double and triple check to make sure you're reading that right. I know that's what I did prior to this show. I was like, is this right? No, it's right. 21 walks in 23 and a third innings. Now, obviously, you're not going to demote him, okay? You're going to hope that he works his way through this. But, you know, I'll ask you what we seem to discuss now after every Josiah Gray start. What now? What next? Do you think his next start gets skipped? Do you think something else happens here? Because clearly what's being done isn't working. And whatever he did in this bullpen session on Friday either was misleading or wasn't good enough because he on Sunday afternoon was right back to doing what he had been doing. Well, yeah. I mean, you could look great in the bullpen. It doesn't matter if you can't then translate that to an actual game against real live hitters. I don't know what they do. They've got some rotation issues that they're working out right now. We've talked about this. There are two off days, Monday and Thursday, around the Mets series. Mackenzie Gore remains on bereavement leave. Tuesday would be his turn. He's not going to face the Mets, and they're going to hold him off until some date over the weekend, I presume, against the Dodgers at some point, but even that is a little uncertain. So would they use these off days as a chance to push Josiah Gray even further back? Would they actually use it as a chance to skip a turn altogether? You know, as it turns out, Mackenzie Gore is going to have 10 days between starts. It's essentially having a start skipped. Now, they make it clear that this is a result of him being on bereavement leave. So I don't know if this would have happened if not for that. But they're at least using that to do something they maybe were considering doing anyways and giving him a little bit of a breather. And, and who knows 
you know, where his head is right now. We don't know exactly what he's dealing with within his family. I don't know. I think there's perfectly valid reason to do something with Josiah Gray. Do you want him facing the Dodgers next weekend? Is that the way to get out of what he's been through? Probably not, to be honest. So maybe they are better off having somebody else pitch on normal or even an extra day at rest because of the off days and holding Gray back until next week when they face the Pirates in Pittsburgh. That might be a much better situation. Gray on the season now, 27 starts, ERA of 413, a whip of 150. This episode of Nat Chat is brought to you by Lou's City Bar in Columbia Heights. Lou's City Bar wants to elevate your sports bar experience. We're reintroducing Lou's City Bar with new pricing, weekly specials, and fan-favorite brick oven pizzas. Established in 2011 and located in the heart of Columbia Heights in 14th Street Northwest, Lou's offers the perfect neighborhood hangout, featuring a temperature-controlled patio bar, spacious inside bar, and a stadium-like game-time atmosphere. Elevate your sports bar experience with us at Lou's. We're located half a block from the Columbia Heights Metro at 1400 Irving Street Northwest with garage parking available across the street. Explore our dine-in and takeout menu at lucecitybar.com this football season and follow us on Instagram at lucecitybar to stay updated on events and promotions. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is offering a great deal for listeners of the Nat Chat podcast 50% off. September has arrived. Uh, That means even more of a focus on the Nats promising young players, but that also means that your busy life now is even busier. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook, but you want to make sure that you're eating well? Well, with Factor, uh, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 for 50% off. One more time, factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. Two balls, two strikes, runners first and second, one out. The kick in Finnegan's pitch, swinging a ground ball to first, fielded by Smith, will go to second, one. Relay back to first is a bad throw. It bounces off the screen in front of the dugout, and in from third to score is a rise. And the Marlins lead five to four. You know, you look at this series, the starting pitching was really bad. I mean, in all four games, the best that you got was Jake Irvin in the game on Friday night, three runs in five innings. But I mean, otherwise, we had what happened with Trevor Williams on Saturday, Williams in that game getting shellacked to the tune of nine runs, eight earned in four innings. He gave up 12 hits, including four home runs. I mentioned Irvin on Friday night, three runs, five innings. Thursday night, Yoan Adone, five runs in five innings. What you ended up having in this series with the bullpen was an even higher than normal workload. The extent to which Davey Martinez had to use relievers in this series, in part because of the 11-inning game on Friday night, but in larger part due to the bad starting pitching, was something. Nats relievers over the four games totaled 20 innings. You averaged in this series five innings per game from your relievers, and the results were not too good. 11 runs, eight earned in 20 innings. But, you know, I think with any bullpen, it's like, 
you're going to ask for 20 innings over four games, you're not going to get 20 shutout innings. Like, guys are going to give stuff up. And, you know, sure enough, we had what we had on Sunday afternoon. Kyle Finnegan in the top of the ninth, allowing two runs. He gave up a leadoff single by Luis Arise to right field. Gave up a one-out single by Jake Berger to left field. Then came a one-out throwing error by shortstop C.J. Abrams, his third error in the series, this coming on a one-out fielder's choice grounder off the bat of Jazz Chisholm Jr. to first baseman Dominic Smith. Dominic threw the ball to Abrams at second base for the force out, but then Abrams made a bad throw back to first for the attempted double play. And then came some more bad luck. Finnegan gave up a two-out RBI single by Brian De La Cruz on a fly ball to no man's land in right field for a 6-4 Marlins lead. De La Cruz was tagged out in a rundown in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. But, you know, we had this on Sunday afternoon. You go back to the 11-inning loss on Friday night, the Marlins scoring four runs in the top of the 11th, the Nats in that game using six relievers. You know, something's going to give when you have to ask this much from a bullpen. Yeah, and we've seen some cracks in the armor of Kyle Finnegan, who had a great summer, but has now been scored upon in, I believe, six of his last eight outings. This was actually the first official loss that he had taken since June 9th. So it's been a while, but he has kind of teetered there along the way and put himself in trouble and come close to blowing some saves. Now, I don't want to put this one all on him. It was a couple of singles, a blooper, like you mentioned there. And to me, this inning is all about the C.J. Abrams error. And that's a case where it would have been a spectacular play to pull off that 3-6-1 double play against Jazz Chisholm Jr., one of the fastest runners in baseball. I get in the heat of the moment, you're trying to make a great play. You're trying to end the inning, keep the game tied, send it to the dugout with your team having a chance to win the bottom of the ninth. The smart play there, as Davey said, and as CJ admitted himself afterwards, is take the force out and eat it. Give Finnegan a chance to get one more hitter out and get out of the inning with the score still tied. Young player, over-aggressive mistake. It's going to happen. But again, I, I point to a long season, a lot of games in the row. CJ Abrams has played a lot. And I wonder if he is wearing down physically and mentally. It's not an excuse. I'm not trying to say that. But I I think it is in part an explanation for what we're seeing from him and several others right now because the quality of play here lately has not been the same. Yeah, it reeks of 2021 and 2022. You know, we saw a lot of this the last few seasons. I think what's tough about right now, too, is that it's not just that the Nats are losing, but it's that these younger guys are falling off, you know, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. And you look at Abrams, since his great July, he really has not been that productive. His batting numbers are way down. Abrams in this series, a combined one for 15. Now the one was a home run, but one for 15 with a solo homer, a walk, and an RBI sack fly. And he had an error in three of the four games. And, you know, he does still make some very good defensive plays. So, you know, I don't want to just sit here and pummel him for these errors, but you know, in three of the four games, this guy had a significant miscue. And obviously, this one on Sunday afternoon was big. And, you know, it wasn't just Abrams who had a defensive miscue in this game. Ildemaro Vargas, who started for the first time in this series, he had a crucial defensive misplay in this game that uh, ended up proving costly. You know, the, the Nats defense, we've talked about this. It seemed like it was better early in the year. The defensive metrics, though, really haven't backed that up all that much. And, and lately, it does feel like the defense really has fallen off. Vargas on Sunday afternoon in a Marlins one-run six, a run-scoring fielding error on, on what was a difficult play, but yet runners at the corners, no outs, Nats up 4-3, and Vargas allowed a ball to go right through his legs on what was a well-hit grounder off the bat of Jesus Sanchez. So it feels like just about every game now, especially during this losing stretch, you're seeing at least one bad defensive mistake, big negative defensive moment for the Nats. 
And it really is the difference in a lot of these games. Think about all the close games of what 10 and two in one run games in August. How were they doing that? Clean defense, clean relief pitching, and just coming through with a couple of hits in the right moments. They're kind of not doing any of that stuff right now. The relief has been pretty good, although, like we said, a few little cracks in the armor there. The defense is definitely costing them. Ildemar Vargas, he had three straight days off after starting 25 games in a row. And I know you and a lot of others were glad to see that Carter Keboom got the chance to play every day at third base there. But we know, given his injury history and what he's going through, they're not going to play Carter Keboom every single day the rest of the way. So if Vargas is going to start a game at third, he better make every play he can make in the field because he's not contributing at the plate. He's in there for his glove. And so that, a very costly mistake. I get it, really hard to hit ball. Easy for us to say, should have made the play, but he would tell you himself, that's a play he makes 99 out of 100 times. And it just didn't happen in this one. And it's those kind of little things, as David likes to talk about, that really do make the difference in a close game like this. I think it's interesting when you think about the Nats defense moving forward with the prospects. We know that the Nats have all of these outfield prospects. We'll see how those guys are defensively at the major league level. But from an infield perspective, save for Brady House, I mean, Abrams is the guy at shortstop. We'll see what happens at second base, but presumably they're still eyeing Luis Garcia to be that guy. We know that K-Bit Ruiz is the guy at catcher. You know, these are the guys on whom the defense needs to get better. Like, we know that infield defense matters a lot, and you just hope that we are on a path to this team's infield defense becoming really good because it has not been really good in a long time, and we know that that matters a lot, that your infield is good defensively. My point is that it's not like there's someone in the minors who we're looking at and saying, well, when he comes up, that's going to really upgrade the infield defense. We'll see. But for now, this is kind of what you're working with, and it may be this is what you're working with in the long term, too. Sure. I think Abrams is going to be fine at shortstop. I think what we saw over a pretty good stretch of the summer when he was playing really clean, solid defense over time is what he's going to be as he gets experience, as he learns more about the rigors of daily life in the big leagues and maybe doesn't wear down like this towards the end of the season and just learns on a play like he had here on Sunday. With time, he will understand when not to try to make the spectacular play like that. It reminds me of Ian Desmond somewhat. When he first came up, Remember, he was committing like 30 errors a year, and he very progressively got better over the length of his time here. And even he wasn't what we'd call like a great shortstop. I think C.J. Abrams has the potential if he can continue to make the great plays and then cut down on the mistakes on the routine plays. Third base is interesting. You know, Brady House has still got a ways to go, and we may see him before the end of next season, but I don't think we're going to see him early in the season. And so there is very much a question of who their third baseman is next year. Is it Carter Keboom? I think they need to see a lot more from him over the final month to know that. Is it Omar Vargas again? I don't think they would go into the year believing that. Do they look outside? Would they look at bringing back somebody like Jamer Candelaro, who was so good for them? I think they have to explore those kind of options because I don't think you can count on Brady House yet. He's got a ways to go. And you know, very young guy who was just drafted a few years ago. And second base, God knows what's happening there. Whether it is Garcia getting another shot, whether Jake Alou could be the answer there. I, I feel like we've seen some good things, but defensively, I'm not really sure that he profiles as an outstanding defensive second baseman. There's uh, another kid in the minors, Trey Lipscomb, who was playing third, has moved to second base some with Brady House's arrival. So he might be somebody in the mix at some point, but there's some real serious questions there. And even first base, we don't know exactly. You know, Dom Smith is still arbitration eligible, so they can bring him back if they want to and count on good defense and not very much offense next season, but are they willing to do that or not? So there are some serious questions 
about what that infield's going to look like next year, let alone beyond that. Dominic Smith did at least produce offensively over the final two games of this series. He, on uh, Sunday afternoon, has a number seven batter, one for three with an RBI double. But no Nat was better offensively in this series than Lane Thomas. And if you're looking for some sort of bright spot from this four-game sweep to the Marlins, the number one bright spot without question is Lane Thomas. What a series Lane ended up having. And of course, the irony to that is how the series started. It started with him not playing. He missed game one of this series due to back tightness, but Lane Thomas ended up being the Nats' starting right fielder and number two batter in each of the final three games of the series. He homered in each of the final three games in this series. Thomas on Sunday afternoon, three for five with a solo homer, an RBI single, and an infield single. And he got credited with an outfield assist on that rundown play I mentioned a few minutes ago. But Thomas on Sunday afternoon in an Nats one run first, a one out solo homer on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1, 431 feet per stand cast. Bottom of the fourth, a leadoff infield single on a grounder up the middle of the infield. And Thomas in an Nats three-run fifth, a two-out RBI single to center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-3 Nats lead. Thomas was all over the place offensively over these final three games. Saturday, Lane Thomas had a solo homer. He had a leadoff homer off having been down at 1.12 to cut the Nats deficit to 9-3. And Friday night, Thomas, three for five, solo homer, RBI single, another single. All three hits were leadoff hits. And his homer in that game was a 400-plus foot shot. Two-run third, a leadoff homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2, 400 30 feet. So you look at Lane Thomas now for this season, number one on the Nats in homers with 23, number one on the Nats in OPS at 818. He had cooled off. There's no doubt about that. He, since the All-Star break, had not been the player he was pre the All-Star break. But boy, (laughs) a ton of production over these final three games and off having missed a game due to injury. It would mean a lot to him to finish this year strong after the great first half and cooling off, as you said, in the second half. I think that would frame his season a lot differently than if he were to struggle the rest of the way. I think the day off did him good. He was worn down dealing with some back issues after playing on artificial turf a bunch of days in a row. And I want to talk about the home run on Sunday. I'm not sure people realize how impressive this is. 0-2 pitch, 100 miles an hour from Sandy Alcantara, and he turns on it and reaches the concourse behind the left field stands, 431 feet bouncing up against the little red 106.7, the fan box out there where they sometimes do some broadcasts from. I've been covering games here for 15 years. There are very few baseballs I have seen in a game reach that concourse. I can count them on one hand, maybe won't even get all the way through one hand to count the number of guys who have done that. That was really impressive, especially when you consider who it was off of in an 0-2 count on a 100-mile-an-hour fastball really good stuff from Lane Thomas and a very encouraging weekend for him that perhaps will portend even better stuff here over the final weeks of the season. His on-base percentage on the season, 334, pretty good. Slugging percentage on the season, 484, quite good. I mean, he has an outside shot at finishing with a 500 slugging percentage on the year. He really has had a nice season. You know, we've talked so much about like, what does this mean big picture? I don't know. I don't know that Lane Thomas himself knows, but he's done a really good job this season. And if not for him, this ugly series would have been even uglier for the Nats because he really was the offense in uh, so many ways. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading 
to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. This year has been a busy year in the DMV for buying tickets, myself included, and game time has come up in the clutch. One show that I have my eye on for next month after the season is Lauren Hill at Capital One Arena. Saturday night, October 21st. Make game time your spot for tickets. Hopefully, there might even be a West Coast playoff game to watch afterwards. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Grab the tickets without the stress with game time. Here's what to do. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played on Sunday, one in which Dylan Cruz did not participate, did not see a reason why. Harrisburg lost 3-1 to in Binghamton. The outfield lineup looked as follows. Robert Hassel the third in center. James Wood in right, Donovan Casey in left field. Casey was part of the Josiah Gray-Trey Turner deal from a few years ago. Some news just came across, by the way. Marker calendars on Thursday as Harrisburg visits Altoona. That could be Paul Skeens against Dylan Cruz. Now back to Mark and Al. Here's the kick, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And the ball game is over. The Marlins sweep this four-game series and all seven games played between the two teams at Nationals Park. And they win the season series 11 games to two after winning last year's 15 to four. You mentioned Sandy Alcantara. Cool it was not on Sunday. This was a rather warm September Sunday in the nation's capital. And Alcantara, who of course just torched the Nats last season, he on Sunday afternoon Four runs, two of which were earned in eight innings. He threw 94 pitches. He was out there for a while. He is not having the season this year that he had last year, but uh, against the Nats on Sunday, he looked like the Alcantara who we saw last season. How many other pitchers in the year 2023 would have that final line? Four runs allowed in eight innings. And it's not like he gave up the four runs late. It's not like he was cruising along and then faltered at the end. No, I mean, he gave up the four runs earlier and just stayed in the game and kept going. He's a different breed from a different time. And, you know, you don't like to see it happen against the Nats, but I enjoy watching somebody pitch like that. He wants the ball. He wants to stay out there. Maybe he's not having the Cy Young season like he did last year, 
But that is the true definition of a workhorse, a guy who saves the bullpen, wants the responsibility himself, and was efficient enough. It's not like he was getting up to 130 pitches. He was getting quick outs all along. So props to him. There may not be anybody else in the game right now who does that. There are some guys who can go deep in games, but even on a day when he wasn't great and gave up the four runs, he still found a way to give him eight innings. He is impressive. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, obviously pitch efficiency and eating up innings, things that we would like to see the Nats' younger pitchers uh, start to do as time goes on here. So as we've said, no game for the Nats on Monday. Next up for them, a two-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.05, Joanna Doan will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And then the Nats will have another off day on Thursday. So you mentioned Mackenzie Gore currently on the bereavement list. He will not be making his next start until at least this Friday night. How does it work with the bereavement list? Is there a maximum amount of time you're allowed to be on that? Are you allowed as much time as you need? Because obviously the Nats right now, they have him parked on that bereavement list and he's been on that for a good bit here now. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I always thought it might be limited to three days, but we saw them do this with Trevor Williams earlier in the summer. I'm sure that Major League Baseball has a way to get around it for obviously when there would be a very dire circumstance or something tragic that happens within a family and somebody's not ready to come back that soon for them to be able to do that and it doesn't penalize the team. You know, back in the day, things like that, things like your wife having a baby, a guy would leave the team for a few days and and they'd have to play a man down for those games. And that's not right. It should never be that way. And you should never feel rushed to come back until you're truly ready. So we don't know what exactly he's dealing with there, but I guess it's nice to know that MLB at least allows for that to take the time that you need. And, you know, while we're sorry for whatever happened to him, and his family, it's maybe ultimately a little blessing in disguise for him to have a break from pitching. And when he does come back, probably will throw a bullpen session. They'll see how he's doing and slot him back into the rotation. You know, it's unfortunate, but I think the timing is good for him to have a little break. It strikes me, though, and I'm not saying the Nats are doing this, but a team with like zero moral fiber could take advantage of this because you don't have to put the pitcher on, say, the 15-day injured list. But you put him on the bereavement list, maybe he only misses you know, six or seven days, but you can bring up someone or get someone else on your roster in the meantime. I would think that there are rules to prevent that. Again, I'm not saying the Nats are doing that, but you, know, you, you really could play with this if you wanted to because it is an interesting way to park a pitcher who you maybe want to skip a start or you want to miss time, but not necessarily the minimum 15 days if he goes on the 15-day I.O. Yeah, it would uh, certainly offer some opportunities for being nefarious. I don't think that's the case here at all. They're maintaining that you're going to be out this while because of the situation and not because of anything going on with his pitching. But let's see what he's like when he comes back. Is he jump right back in and look good to go? Is the break good for him? Or are there other things that are going to be tough for him to come back from? And I don't know. I mean, there's really a lot with this rotation that is very much up in the air here as we hit the final four weeks of the season. There's not a lot of certainty here. We don't know how they're going to piece this together. We don't know who's going to keep starting every turn, who's going to get turns skipped, who else might take those starts. I mean, we've mentioned it. They've gone through the whole season with only seven starters, fewest in baseball. That's a, a minor miracle and really an underrated part of this season that they have not had to dig deep into their rotation depth over the course of year like they have in the past. 
And we're finally going to get to a point here where they are going to have to dig into it for a few different reasons. And it's going to be interesting to see how they manage this down the stretch. There are a lot of guys kind of running on fumes right now. They can't shut them all down, but maybe there are ways with the schedule to give somebody a little extra break like this. Maybe they do it with Josiah Gray. And maybe we do see somebody like Jackson Rutledge or Thaddeus Ward here at some point make a start as well. And the competition obviously is going to pick up. You have the three-game series against the Dodgers next weekend, and each of the Nats' final nine games of this regular season are against one of the two teams leading the two leagues right now. You have seven games against the Atlanta Braves and two games against the Orioles. So we shall see. Rough weekend for the Nats. Hopefully things get better. Hopefully these uh, upcoming off days do the Nats some good. This episode of the Nats Chat Podcast brought to you by Lose City Bar. This football season, make Lose your spot. Lose is located in Columbia Heights in Northwest D.C., right by the Metro. The perfect neighborhood spot and a temperature-controlled patio bar with plenty of televisions. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Schober, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to our website, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Alcantara's into the wine. Here's the pitch. Swing and a long drive to left. Down the line. Gone if it's fair, and it is a home run for Lane Thomas. Way down the left field line, reaches the concourse level. What a shot by Lane Thomas for home run number 23. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.